So we are here for the second Q&A. We will start with not so much of a question, but uh, a few weeks back, I was learning with my Chavrusa, and he said that a few days before, he had given tzedakah to someone, and this person didn't thank him. And this person tells him, I'm not thanking you because you didn't give me the money. Hashem gave me the money. So, like, you know, there's no reason for me to thank you. You, you, you didn't give me anything. And kind of it got us thing. We had this, you know, this whole discussion in yeshiva with a few guys. But I want to hear what Rebbe has to say about it. Basically, obviously we said, you know, right? This person is going to get money, if not from me. He's going to get it from somewhere, from someone else. So, right, I was a shliach, and even though, yes, I did give him the money, but why does he need to thank me? Because if I wouldn't give it to him, someone else would give it to him. So what did I do for him to be thankful to me? Very good question. I like that question very much, and actually it's funny you said you had a discussion about it. I also had a discussion not long about it with my wife. There's a famous story. I'm sure you heard of that story of a rav. This rabbi that was doing cure of, he went to America, and he he was getting to this guy that really had a lot of money and had a lot to give, but the guy was just being, he came to the house, and everything like wasn't working out for him. He came in, he was waiting there out, and it was schlep, schlep, schlep. He worked so hard, and he comes into the guy, and the guy says, well, I can't give it to you. And um, And the rabbi told him, Listen, I'm collecting for Kirv. You also, me and you have the same chiv of, of, of getting people closer to God, right? We all have the chesed of showing people the, the, the way to the Torah, right? Me and you. So I'm basically doing you a favor and going doing all the dirty work, standing outside yeah. and working <laughs> hard and getting all these shirim together and getting people. I'm doing all the hard work. All you need to do is just write a check. And you write a check because you have the money, right? And so I'm doing you basically a favor. If I wouldn't be doing it, you wouldn't be able to work and make all this money. You would need to go do care of so. Right. You're so, welcome. So say thank you. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> similar to this money. guy, do I need to say <laughs> thank you to you? So... This, this story always bothered me. There was a small part of it, and I think I'm with your friend that was saying that. It bothered me, like, maybe the approach is not, like, so, like, I'm doing you a favor, right? The approach bothered me. But then my wife had a good chat, and, and I think it will directly answer on, on this, what you're saying. There's two aspects to it. Of course, of course, in that story of the Kirov, he meant to tell him, not in a way of not being polite and not thanking him. Of course, for him to write a check, he's doing something uh, uh, beyond he is. And I'll explain soon what. When we In a second, I'll explain that further because I'm going to make a distinction between Tzedakah and Meiser in a second. But maybe later on in the story, he told him, thank you very much. You're the best. You're awesome. He gave him a hug. Okay? But that's not a point. He wanted just to bring out the point that really, really, as when you look at the dry brain without getting any emotions involved, it's really he's doing him a favor. It is true, no matter. And, well, is it polite to say thank you even if you don't have to do it? It's still very nice and polite because, after all, even though I do need to give the cure of, but, I, you know, sitting right in the check, going out the way to do it is still, you know, 
it takes a level of of effort and maybe there's extra effort here maybe maybe there's a little bit beyond maybe so you just say thank you because you're nice so uh, back to the poor man that did, that said you know, I don't need to thank you now there's the difference between miser and tzedakah. Miser is when you need to give 10% of your money, that money actually belongs to the poor man, right? It's not, you're not doing anyone a favor. That money is not yours, basically, because of the chiv of miser. That's the way to view it. Tzedakah, however, tzedakah is you have money. You have extra money sitting and laying around. And you could have bought a, a nice scooter with it, but you went and you chose to uh, uh, give it for tzedakah. Tzedakah is a mitzvah that you go and you do from your own spare money. That's really the the, the chiyuv of tzedakah, not meiser. When your friend went over and gave tzedakah, so you're right that there's a mitzvah and God is mechayev you. I mean, it's not a mitzvah that you have to give. You have to, in general, you should give tzedakah to mechayev the mitzvah, but it's a mitzvah that you want to do. It's an essa. You could have given you could have given a dollar, but you decided to give ten dollars. Right, and even that one dollar is a mitzvah that from, that I took from my extra money. It's not money that I owe, so to speak, like miser. So he does owe you. I think he does could say thank you for two reasons: a, that he chose to do the mitzvah. You're right that at the end of the day, it's a mitzvah, and he's getting schar from Hashem, but he chose to do the mitzvah. That's A. Number two, we are all polite people. Whenever you, it will tell me, when you get on the bus, and I had always this, this argument with many Israelis, um, <laughs> there's a, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a minute in, in, in America, you see it more. But you're on a bus, you get on a bus and whatever, and you say, when you get off the bus, you say thank you to the bus driver, right? Why? Um, he, he was anyways driving. He's there. anyways driving. He's getting a paycheck for this. It's his job. It's his duty. What do I need to say? Thank you for what? You know what? Thank you for what? Thank you for just the fact that he's doing it. Just the fact that he went and he chose to be a bus driver. He's getting paid. That's a separate thing. But after all, he gave you a service. So for two reasons, I think that guy was wrong. And you should say thank you. That's also why I brought it into the Q&A about choosing between good and bad, right? You know, it's not miser money, it's duck of money. I could have chosen either to give this guy money or not. Yeah, but so you're doing it I, because it's the right thing. Right, no, no. So I chose, I went out of my, like it was 100% up to me because like we said in the free will episode, it's choosing between good and bad is up to me. So right. I have chosen to give him these $10. So right. you need to thank me. But at the end of the day, this person, like you said, right, right. so if I wouldn't decide you know, obviously it's 100% up to me, but if I wouldn't, then Hashem would make someone else go give my money to him or whatever. So at the end of the day, no matter me or how hard it was and how out of the way I went, at the end of the day, this guy who was collecting money had the exact same amount of money in his pocket, no matter what I would choose. So what exactly did I give him? Right. You gave him. The fact that it was by you, you were the shliach, you were the person right, to do it. Okay, I was the shliach again, but like someone else would be the shliach. I don't agree with this. No, 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 I understand. But it's kind of down to the, I'll you give know. you a little story. Um, I was on a plane and a reformed Jew was sitting next to him and he was starting up with me the whole time. He was trying to tease me with questions. I was I was being nice and I was answering him. And when the when the plane was, was landing, 
so we had overall uh, a fair discussion, but he was like really trying to bother me and, you know, tease me with questions. And thank God I was, you know, here and there I was able to answer him. I, I don't like usually just, uh, you know, questions for tease. You don't get you anywhere. But anyways, at the end he asked me, let me ask you a question before we land because we were landing. Who do you think, the pilot or God? So I looked at him and I said, well, I'm thanking God for making a plane, making a pilot, creating me and you. And I thank the pilot for instead of going being working in, I don't know. Being a lawyer. Uh, being a lawyer, right? He chose to be a pilot. And he worked very hard, right, for years and years, put in the effort of being a pilot. So I thank him for taking that path. He actually liked the answer. Wow. That was nice. That was like one of the first answers that he liked. He didn't like any of my other answers, but he actually liked that answer. So I think over here is exactly Hashem puts you the way. Of course, Hashem does everything, but you walk the walk. You took the path down and you put the effort in. Of course, you're doing it for Hashem. You're not doing it for the sake of, you know, pride or anything. But the fact that you took the walk and it happened through you, you should thank him as well. And be polite. All right. Very, very nice. All right. This question is on the Love and Relationships episode, and it is from Josh. Josh. So he asked like this. Orthodox Jews date for a very short period of time. Usually it's seven, eight dates, and then they get married. How could you tell after meeting someone for only six or seven times that you want to spend the rest of your life with him? Excellent question. Wow. Now, the answer for it should deserve a whole entire episode. But let me just give you like a t- like a trailer to to that episode. Uh just where to think of. I'm not going to it's not a full answer of course because your question is very good, Josh. Um I can answer you very short it's a miracle. Um there is a process that happens over here and and I don't think in very short I don't think we should have any numbers for dates, okay? It could be in three dates, it could be in 10 dates, it could be in five, it could be in 20. As far as my concern, when you date, and don't forget every date could be so and so amount of hours, it's not a matter of the time you spend, it's not a matter of the days or dates, it matters the three stages, what I call. There's three stages that you go through in dating, especially in this fashion of, you know, shidduchim, they call it in more of the orthodox world. Stage number one in dating, is when you're one in front of each other, right? And you're basically finding out data about each other. Yeah, you have so-and-so family, you went to this and this school, you did this and this in life, these are your hobbies, these are your family, that's your parents, that's that's where you live. Just information, tons and tons of information. And that could take five dates, it could take one date that you find out a lot about the, just basically getting to know the person very well. Okay, why do you want to get a person to know very get the person to know very well? Because sometimes some of that data just won't work with you, right? You find that she's like in a totally different direction, you know, and she's her hobbies or direction or you know way of thinking is is kind of further away from you, and some people will drop in the first stage, meaning that data doesn't match. Okay, kind of the data doesn't match, and. Um, and you know we you can talk you can talk a bit even about a little bit personality on the surface and things like that basically to get to know each other very well that's stage number 1 
Stage number two in dating, when it gets a little bit more serious, is when, okay, now you found out enough about each other. Very nice. Now you're, now I'm using my hands. Now you're shoulder to shoulder. I mean, you're Shomer Nagia, but now you're shoulder to shoulder and looking now further away. Now let's see stage number two, not one across of each other. Now both of you are standing side by side looking to the future. Now, how do we both see in one word life, right? Where would you live? Where would you raise kids? Where all those questions, all those basic and also as far as personnel, how do we see our both building our dream together? Could that work? So you see that's a that's stage number two. It's a totally different stage. Suddenly the discussions are more around how do you view and sometimes you're gonna get a lot into Hashkafa and, and and deeper aspects of your personality of to, together how you view this. Up till now it was like, hey, that's my life, that's your life, that's your life, that's my life. Now it's like, our are life, we headed in the same direction? Exactly, us together, we could work this. So you're talking as a together on the future. That's stage number two. Stage number three is when you actually have the guts and make the decision. It's kind of more um, getting the getting the confidence. Stage number three is when you feel comfortable with each other. You feel that confidence that you can go and make the decision. That's stage number three. So that's why. How do you do dates? It's it's a lot of some part of it is like I first said. It's kind of a miracle. Is because we want to do it. We want to do it because we want to stay holy. You don't want to go into too, too deep, so you won't be bribed. You know, because once it gets into Nagia, the basic idea in Nagia is that you lose out of seeing the real person in front of you. Once you start uh, uh, touching, it's get it gets you get more emotionally involved, and you might not make the right decision. We want to stay away from that and stay focused only solely on the person, on the real meaning of the person, not not desires or anything like that. So it's kind of a miracle because we want to do it in a very productive and holy fashion. But it could happen in eight dates as long as you go through that three stages. I'm not saying just go get married blindly. You should go through the, well, as long as you go through the three stages, some people do it in three dates. It doesn't matter the the quality of the dates, like if they're long and they're go, they go very deep and you're not wasting too much time. Again, it depends on people. And probably also sometimes, you know, just two people go out and there's just that click. And it's like easier. From the first exactly. moment, just like, boom, exactly. you know. Exactly. This is what I want to spend the rest of my life with. It's right. Sometimes feeling. it's uh, people have a harder time. Some people like, but again, even if it's clicking nicely, you want to go through those three stages. You want yeah. to be yeah. Obviously you need logically to make sure convinced that, that yeah. it's the right thing to All do. All right. Well, I will definitely use this knowledge. Thank Great. you, Rabbi. I'm so happy to hear that. Next question is from Zacharia Zilberstein. Zacharia. And he asks, why is it such a big story to prove that Harsinai happened? All the other religions agree with Harsinai, such as the Muslims and the Christians. They agree with it. But they just say that at a certain point, God changed the religion or however it happened. Basically, I think what he's asking is, why is it such a big thing? You know, kind of why does it prove Judaism to be the right religion type of thing? Because uh, cr- Christians also believe in the Old Testament, they call it. Right. You know, who, who so. are we fighting with, basically? Right, exactly. Like, we're on the same you train, you know, like what, what, uh, what's the big deal here? Right. So the answer for you to Zechariah is... Is I'll say two things. First of all, for for two purposes, is very important. First of all, for um, a uh, you know a large number of the world of 
atheists and people that are don't believe and only believe in science and then non-religious for the non-religious for the secular world out there it's very important to hear this that's probably the most important for them to hear it and today the academia and everything that they deny totally god then obviously they say that it's our fantasy once you show them in this faith in the face this miracle of harsina is still happening after 3330 years two years so that changes the whole approach to religion to our religion at least and and you know we try to bring him into to to understand that there is beyond science that actually controls the world but also for christians and muslims you mentioned in the question that they want to change the story right they want to say but later on god uh, you know said you know uh, you know what i'm going to go with the christians i'm going to go with the muslims you know you jews are the story is over with you i'm going to throw you out of eretz well. i'm no longer with you no by us saying that proof over and over not only that we want to say that Harsina is living today, meaning it's not a historical event that happened, that just happened, and then Hashem changes mind. Although we have the promises, Hashem will never leave us. However, more than that, when we have that proof in front of our eyes and we can show it to them, again, we don't have, we, may, we really want to show this proof to Jews, to show them the Jews that lose their heritage, to, to, to bring them back. That's our main goal. But even if a Christian or Muslim hears that, he should understand that that obviously nothing changed after because it's still alive. That Harsina, that promise of Hashem that only you will claim the mass revelation and not them, they don't hold a mass revelation. So that kind of throws their whole idea into, into the zero credibility hole. It's very important to tell them that you are zero credibility. <laughs> and right? And uh and and we have that's that proof straight in the face of that still standing live after so many years. Um, so maybe they'll leave us alone, but uh, <laughs> uh, go try. But that, again, that's not our our main purpose. We want to choose to hear that. They they tried. Yeah, uh, but really, our purpose is is for Jews to hear it. Okay. Okay. And, and especially Jews that are assimilated amongst atheists, and you know. The, the academia. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Rebbe. Hope that answered your question, Zachariah. Last question from Shmuel. He asks, nice and short, why are there more Muslims and Christians than Jews? Hmm. That is a very and nice I think question. also, um, you know, usually, especially Orthodox Jews, they usually have more kids and it keeps on growing. Um you know, if you want to say, okay, there's a bit more, but we're like one and a half billion to like, what, 15 million Jews? Like, not even close. Right. And we're also the oldest religion. We exist for the longest time. So why, you know, what went wrong along the way that, you know, all these Jews disappeared? Right. A very good question. So Shmuel, um, the idea is like this. It's a, it's a very nice question and a very long answer because it's long as our history. Uh, basically, the answer is the answer is um, like first of all, there's demographics. There's nations that are bigger, nations that are smaller, that had to do with their starting point. Okay, take us Jews as starting point. How many people were we? Close three to three million. million, right? So we started close to three million. So now, if you if everything would go smooth. We would be in a country that we just could live our lives quietly with no issues. 
definitely we're talking about, think about it for the last, we're talking about 3,033 years. How much, do the calculation, how much we would multiply is incredible. I don't even want to think about it. Right. So it's much, 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 much more than 15 million, right, that we have today. Um, If you read a bit of history, read our history. It's incredible. Um, We started very well. We had a very good start. But unfortunately, even when we were living in in Israel, we couldn't just like, we always had the wars, right? Started with the wars. But the worst of the worst, when we started fighting between us and the Malchus of Yehuda and Malchus Yisrael got separated, what is the most terrible thing that happened when it, I mean, the most terrible thing happened that the kingdom of Israel and Judah was separated, that caused all the trouble and later on the destruction of the Beis Amikdash. But the king of Ashur, right, um, the, he came, He they had a plan to finish us off, right? And he had a very simple plan instead of just like, um, just killing us. He wanted to get rid of the Jewish nation, okay? And the way he did it, he took, he had a fight with the Malchi Yisrael, which was 10 tribes, and he sent them away to the rest of the world. He spread us around the world. Our golus, our exile, didn't start from the, from the destruction of the temple. Before that, all the Shvatim were spread around the world, right? Like we know we have some, there is some remains of Shvatim, uh, Menashe and Ruvain, and we had the whole story with the Ethiopians that they have tremendous Mesoras. He sent them far east and and all around. And uh, so so that was kind of a big, that was a, one of the biggest reasons why we were not in the same place. We were spread all around in horrible conditions and traveling conditions, and we couldn't multiply normally. Um, then you had the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, and then throw it out, thrown out to 2,000 years in Golis. Now, in 2,000 years in Golis, how much can you, when you're closing a ghetto, when you're chased, when you're going through the expelled from Spain, Inquisition, you, when you're going through the Crusades, when you're going through pogroms, endless, right? We never had easy just life. just now, up till now, the Holocaust. Right? And then the Holocaust, how many Jews were wiped? Were, yeah, I think were, it was wiped down 50% of the Jews were killed. We're talking about six, seven, close to 7 million Jews. So it's quite obvious um, why we're not, such in large numbers. Deeper in your question, it kind of feels, I think maybe it's more of an emotional feel like, hey, we're we're right. And uh and and we're such a small number. Well, numbers don't influence it has to do with the dating uh, uh question we had before. It has nothing to do with numbers. <laughs> it has nothing to do with numbers. It has to do with 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 if you're doing right or wrong. There was a famous question, uh I think it was uh, someone, someone, some guy asked so he was a, a priest or a, or a governor or something like that. Asked Rabbi Yonason Ibshitz. He asked him the famous question, like, how you Jews, you say you're right, but you guys have an halacha that says that you go after the majority. When you have a, when you have, a, or let's say, you know, when you have a piece of a non-kosher, something falls into, thing is but, uh, into a pot, it's batal b'shishim, it's canceled. In the so you guys for sure are wrong because you yourself uh, um, say that you go after the majority and the majority of people don't be like you are my such a minority like Shmuel is saying so Rebionis and Abishitz told him he says well if you look at that halacha that you go after the rove is only when you have a suffix 
when you have a dilemma, you don't know In your face. <laughs> when you're not sure, when you have uncertainty, a suffix. So that's when you go after the majority. But we do when you don't have any uncertainty, numbers shouldn't scare you. Let's say you have a watermelon, but the watermelon is the size of an apple. Is it a big watermelon or a small watermelon? It's a tiny watermelon. Right. But let's say you take a diamond and it's the size of an apple. Is it a big diamond or a small diamond? Big diamond. There isn't even a diamond in the world that's that big. So, so there are two things, the exact same size. One of them is humongous and the other one is tiny. What do you mean that they're the exact same size? But, but what is it? Value. Right. It's the value. the value in it. Yes, you're right. You know, the number is much less. But if you look at the value, it's actually this is huge and a crazy amount of people. And that could be small and very little amount of people. So that's also another very good. Uh, very good. way to connect yeah. it and explain it. Very good. So, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your questions. Thank, thank you, you Rebbe. questions. Wow. This time was amazing. Yeah. And that's the winner nice of this Q&A of the book On the Shoulders of Giants is mm-hmm. Zacharia Zilberstein. Wow. Amazing. Yep. ZZ Top. So send ZZ us an email with your address and we will send you the fantastic book On the Shoulders of Giants. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your questions. Thank you. And we will see you Thursday for the next episode of the podcast. Have a wonderful week.